Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We are wrapping up this five-part series called The Right Choice, and I hope this has added value to you. I hope this has been helpful. We've talked about a number of things. In fact, if you were here last week, you heard from one of my overseers, Pastor Brady Boyd, and he talked about hearing God's voice. How many of you enjoyed that? So good, so good, so good. And so we're gonna wrap up this uh, conversation today and, and I think this topic is gonna to be so appropriate. We're gonna talk about miracles out of mistakes. Miracles out of mistakes. Um, I remember about 15, maybe almost 20 years ago, a buddy of mine, he and I went to go visit a financial advisor and uh, trying to get our finances in order and get a plan for the future. How many thinks that's a good idea? Yeah, having a plan, you know, setting a budget, nod your head if you think that's a good idea. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of always wondering where it went. Come on, somebody. And so a buddy of mine went to go see this financial advisor, and so we walked into his office, and man, this office was nice. I mean, the carpet was plush. He had this big oak desk. Um, he had all these pictures on the walls, all of his degrees. He had all these, these plants and these you know, trees and greenery. I mean, he had a fireplace, a bricked fireplace in his office. And so I walked in, I'm thinking, man, this guy, he's sharp. Man, he knows what he's doing. So my friend and I, we sit down and we begin to talk. And then I was a little distracted because I kept hearing something. There was a noise that was coming out of the fireplace. And I was like, hey, um, are, is it just me? Or are you hearing something kind of rattling around up there? He said, yeah, look, don't worry about it. Um, and there, there's obviously something that's stuck up there. I've called pest control, but they're gonna charge me $75 to, to just come out and visit. Don't worry about it, we'll be good. So we get back to the, the dollars and the cents. And man, I just couldn't focus. How many of you have ADD? ADHD? A to Z, come on, everything in between. So I'm like, Chris, I can't focus, man. We got to do something about that noise. In fact, let me, let me save you $75. You don't have to call pest control. I got a bright idea. Has anybody ever had a good idea? Oh, yes. Here's what we're going to do. I went to the closet and I found a broom. I said, look, I'm going to hold this broom. I said, Richie, you take the, the poker from the fire, all right? You, you take that little, that, I, don't, I don't know what you call it. Is, is that called a poker? Is that what it is? Yeah, some sort of stick. And I said, Chris, you grab the trash can from under your desk, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle the flute, the chimney flute. Whatever it is that's stuck up there, I'm going to rattle that. And when, when it comes down, I said, Richie, I want you to, you, you stick it with that little poker that you've got. Chris, you grab that trash can and you throw it over it. We'll bag it up and we'll take it out of here. How many things that's an amazing idea? I was impressed with it. I was fully convinced. They weren't, but they reluctantly followed my lead. So I go over to the fireplace. I got the broom in my hand, go over to the fireplace, and I rattled that little chimney flue. And what came down was a nest of birds. Oh, yeah, these little chimney birds. And guess what? There were about 30 of them. And when they hit the bottom of that fireplace, pew, pew, pew. Have you ever heard of angry birds? 
we were living with an office of angry birds and they started flying everywhere. Now, if you're holding a broom in your hand, what do you automatically do? I'm swinging for the fences. Feathers are everywhere. I mean, it was a disaster. Can I have a good amen? What is it about people doing dumb things that we just love to celebrate? Have you noticed that about our culture? I mean, we had an entire TV show called America's Funniest Videos, right? I mean, appreciate that. Yet now we've done even better. We've got YouTube. Hello. We can look up people that are jumping on a trampoline, jumping off the roof onto a trampoline into a swimming pool. Somebody say bad idea. Oh yeah, we love, what is it about people's dumb decisions that we just love to celebrate? I remember years ago, one of our youth pastors at another campus, um, we had a youth conference and so it was one of those moments in service where all the teenagers were up in the front and man, they were worshiping and man, they had that mosh pit for Jesus going. It was crazy and there was electricity in the environment and, and so the youth pastor just got so excited, he thought he was gonna do a stage dive. And so he ran off the edge of the stage and he just kind of leaped. But what he didn't realize is he had the gift of Moses because the students parted <laughs> and that brother landed flat on his face. Come on, somebody. Have you ever made a few decisions that you look back later and you regret? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Some of you haven't raised your hands and you need to raise your hand. Bad decisions come in all different shapes and sizes, do they not? Some of you may be thinking about the last date that you had. Bad idea. Some of you are thinking about a business deal that went bad. Some of you are thinking about a major purchase that you recently made. Others of you may be thinking about an argument that you've had with your spouse. It's getting quiet in here. My dad told me the other day, he said, son, arguing with a woman is like reading a software license agreement. In the end, you ignore everything and you just click, I agree. <laughs> some of you fellas are afraid to say amen right now. Come on, some of you are hurting, you need a marriage conference bad. How do you become successful? You make good decisions. How do you make good decisions? Well, it comes from experience. How do you gain experience? bad decisions. Um, you know, confession for this last installment of, of this series, I did not have to do a lot of outside research. When it comes to making bad choices, how many of you have made your own share of bad decisions? And you know, if you've made some bad choices, I want you to know this, you are in very good company. Okay, today is not a beat down, all right? Today is not about guilt, and you're gonna find that out very quickly. I think the common denominator that unites all of us is we've made some poor choices in our life. You know, and you read this Bible, read this book, and I love it because, you know, the Bible wasn't written by man, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because man would never admit such bad things about himself. You know, God used some amazing men who did some amazingly dumb things. 
And I want to take right out of Scripture a, a, a process because I feel like the Scriptures lay out a pathway if we find ourselves in a bad spot because we've made some poor choices. You can get out of that spot. You don't have to be stuck in a moment. You don't have to live with regret. You don't have to be plagued by guilt and condemnation. You know, when, when God spoke to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, what did God give Moses? The Ten Commandments. But notice this. God not only gave Moses the Ten Commandments, but at the same time, God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle. Why is that important? Because God knew that we couldn't live up to the Ten Commandments. And so he already made a plan to redeem our poor choices. Can somebody say amen? If you're taking notes, I want you to write a few things down, okay? Write a few things down. We're, we're going to see this pattern in Scripture time and time again. But I want you to see how God can take a mess and he can turn it into a masterpiece. First thing I want you to write down is this. Number one, write down the word responsibility. Somebody say responsibility. 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 How many of you did not like that word as a kid growing up? How many of your parents would preach that to you and it meant it was just hard to embrace? Sometimes as adults, we struggle with this word too. But if you're gonna turn some things around in your life, this is the starting point. You know, the devil doesn't want you to take responsibility for your actions. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to blame others. He wants you to make excuses. He wants you to point your finger at everybody else and yet the Bible says God's word is a mirror. How many of you know God's word will show some things to you about you? Can I have a better amen? Some of you may discover some things about yourself today that you weren't prepared for. Listen, the, the, last week I was at Walmart. Is that a surprise to anybody? So I go to Walmart and ran a quick errand and and I was only there maybe two minutes, okay? So I got my stuff and I'm rolling out. And you know, at the entrance and the exit, they have security cameras, have you seen that? And so they have a screen up there and so you can see the traffic. And so I've got my stuff and I'm headed out of there and I look up and I see, okay, that dude's got a bald spot right there. I see, because the cameras are high and I just noticed a guy with a bald spot and I'm like, hmm, wait. I learned something about myself that day in Walmart. I didn't realize that I'm getting thin right here on the crown of my head. Come on, somebody. Lord Jesus, that camera showed me something about me. The good news is God's word serves as a mirror and it's gonna show you something about yourself. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there in sinless perfection, that they were enjoying the presence of God. Here comes the devil in the form of a snake, a serpent. And what does the devil tell him? Oh, listen, there's some fruit on this tree over here. Eve said, no, 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 no. God said we're not supposed to eat of the fruit of that tree. And the devil says, oh, really? You see, God doesn't want what's best for you. He wants what's less for you. Some might say lie. The devil will lie to you and say that God doesn't love you and God doesn't have your best at heart. He knows the devil's lying. He's saying, God knows that when you eat the fruit of this tree, you will become as smart as him. 
And so Eve looked at it and thought, man, this looks delicious. She was convinced that what the serpent told her was true. And so guess what they did? They sinned. They made a poor choice. And how many of you know that poor decision has affected every generation from the beginning of time until now? Thank you, Adam and Eve. The original parents did not get it right. And then here comes God. And he's looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And so he's saying, hey, Adam, where are you? And then Adam's hiding. I'm telling you what, when you make poor choices, then there's this fear that sets in. There's this shame. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then we hide. Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was. He wasn't asking out of ignorance. He was trying to help Adam locate where he is. And what was Adam's response? Adam said, well, Lord, we we heard your voice, and so we ran and hide. Well, why are you hiding? Did you do something you shouldn't do? Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't my fault. That woman, come on, what did he say? That woman that you gave me. Now, listen, okay, king of cool, here you are, Adam, the original, the first, And not only are you blaming Eve, but you're blaming God. Lord, come here just for a second. I can see Adam say, God, check this out. When it was just you and me in this garden, we were fine. All was good. But the woman was your idea, right? How many know we are good at blaming others? Here's the problem with blame. When you blame, it will keep you in bondage but personal responsibility will set you free. You see, the problem with blaming is my focus is on somebody else. When you blame somebody, when you point the finger, then your focus is on them. Listen, I can't change anybody but me. And the truth is, you can't change anybody but you. When we blame others, we take the focus off of ourselves. Blaming will enslave us as victims and will render us helpless. But taking responsibility will empower you to change. Can I tell you this? Ain't nobody holding you back but you. Nobody's holding me back but me. I can't blame my spouse. I can't blame my boss. I can't blame the government. I can't blame my children. Listen, nobody is holding me back but me. I remember as a kid playing dodgeball, going to PE class and playing dodgeball. How many of you remember those dodgeball days? Oh man, I love dodgeball. When the coach would roll out those those balls, put them in the center of the court and say, today we're playing dodgeball. I was like, yes. And there's always three different kinds of groups that play dodgeball. There's the scared girls that kind of huddled in the corner, right? Nod your head if you're with me. And they just scream at everything that flies by. And then there's those kamikaze guys that are just wild and out of control. I mean, they don't even know what they're doing, but they're expending a whole lot of energy. And then that third group is what I call the professionals. Those are the ones that can throw that ball 90 miles an hour. And when it releases from their hand, it can change trajectories. Sometimes we treat responsibility like spiritual dodgeball. Or we'll catch it and throw it at somebody else. Are you with me? 
It's not my responsibility. Look, don't blame me. And yet what the scripture says in Galatians 6, look at verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Can I have a good amen? Personal responsibility. The first step I would say is this. If you mess up, own it. Just own it. Hey, I did it. I admit it. I quit it, so forget it. Isn't that amazing? Responsibility will empower you. It's the first step. You see, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, I want you to see this. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, the Bible says they had Moses and they had manna. Every day God provided for them. At Moses gave them direction, gave them information from the Lord, and manna, it was the food of angels, bread that came down from heaven. But watch this, when they stepped into the promised land, they didn't have Moses, and they didn't have manna. You know what they had? Responsibility. If you're gonna step into your promised land, it will only come through the road of responsibility. You receive that today? Number two, write down this word. So we, it starts with responsibility. Number two, the second step is repent. Somebody say repent. Now listen, church, hear me. This is not a dirty word. This is one of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. To repent means to change your heart, to change your mind, and to change your direction. You see, the power to change is found in repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, the Bible says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Now watch this. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Now, I want you to hear this because I feel this is where I want to camp out for a few moments. I feel so strongly, especially, you know, in a room this size and for those that have joined us at other campuses. You know, two of the devil's favorite weapons against you, one is guilt and the other is shame. And I can't tell you how many Christian people that I talk to that have been hammered with guilt and shame because of wrong choices that they've made. Now, you know, guilt has to do with what we've done. It has to do with our actions, the sins that we've committed, the wrong choices that we've made. But shame is different. Shame has to do with how you see yourself. Shame has to do with who you are. Shame says this, shame is toxic, and it's based on the belief that we failed God, we failed others, and we failed ourselves, so we're not worthy. Some people come to church and they feel so unworthy. Well, I don't deserve God's blessing. I don't deserve God's promises. I don't deserve healing or freedom. <laughs> Let me ask you this, who does? None of us do. Does anybody deserve anything except judgment from God? All of us have sinned. All of us fall short. But shame is different. 
I talked to a guy and he said, you know, listen, I believe I'm going to heaven simply because I meet the requirements, but I don't really think God wants me there. And I thought, oh Lord, forgiveness of God when we repent, not only takes away our guilt, but removes our shame. You see, shame has to do with value. If you don't feel valuable, maybe some of you have been mistreated, and so when you see yourself, your value is diminished. $100 bill. How many could use one of these right about now? Okay, who who wants this $100, anybody? Yeah, some of you are really excited, right? You just woke up. Welcome to church. <laughs> Pastor's giving out $100 bills. I think I'll participate. <laughs> now, what if I were to take this $100 and wad it up like that? Who still wants this $100 bill? <laughs> what? For reals? Richie, you got a pen? Who, who's got a pen? Who's got a pen? Let me see. What, 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 if, what if I were to take this pen? Here's old Benjamin. He needs a mustache. What, what, what if I were to write on this $100 bill? Who, who, who would still want it? You still want this? I've watered it up. I've written on it. Okay. Any takers? Why? Okay, okay. I'm throwing the pen, but I'm keeping the 100 right here. You have taught me a very valuable lesson. Now watch this, regardless of what I did to this, its value never changed. And some of you have been labeled, you have been mistreated, you've been stomped on, and so you don't even feel valued. But God, somebody say, but God. Come on, somebody say, but God. Somebody say, but God. But God said, regardless of how you've been treated, I sent my son Jesus to suffer, to bleed, and to die on a cross. And your value to heaven is worth more than $100. Richie, you want this 100, don't you? I know you do. Come on, I'm gonna bless you with this 100 right here. Yes, indeed. Okay, now 10% of 100 is $10 when that offering plate goes by. I'm just saying. (laughs) Earl, I'm going to need another $100 for the next service. I'm just saying. You see, listen, you you may have have done what they said you did, but you are not who they say you are. Do not evaluate your value based on how you've been treated. You need to set value based on what God did for you. You see, without repentance, we're left to regret. Now watch this, watch how regret works. Some of you have carried regret for a long time. I want to say, regret is a world with rules all of its own. Regret will, will, will sabotage your future, okay? Some of you, and I shared this yesterday with a group of precious ladies, some of you have such regret and it constantly pulls you to your past. It's the difference between your windshield and your rear view mirror. Now I want you to consider the size of your rear view mirror, it's small, but the size of your windshield is big. Why is that? Because where you are going is more important than where you came from. 
Now, you can learn from the past, but please don't live in your past. You see, regret will keep you tied and tethered to the past. It'll bring you back, and that's where shame lives. Listen, the world will put shame on you, but God puts his name on you. He says, you know what, in spite of what you've done or who you've become, I value you. And see, repentance unlocks all of that. Uh, Regret, it blurs the lines of the things you can change and the things you can't. Listen, if you've done some things in your past and you've made a mess of things, watch this. If you can change it, then change it and move forward. If there's nothing you can do about it, then you surrender it and move forward. But either way, you've got to move forward. And here's the difference. I want you to see this. Well, I feel like we're going somewhere now. We're going. I feel shame is being lifted off of people right now. You have felt so unworthy. You have felt lousy. You have been under condemnation. And condemnation is what pushes you away from God. But you know what? Conviction is what draws you to God. Repentance unlocks the shame vault. Some of you have been locked away in a vault of shame, and God's saying, today is your day. If you'll take responsibility and repent of your sins. No, no, I want you to see this example. Jesus had 12 disciples, and some of you can name all of them. Most of us know a handful of them. But I want you to consider the apostle Peter, and I want you to consider Judas. Now, both of them were disciples. Both of them were called by Jesus. I want you to come and follow me. They were both on the same team. But watch what happens. Both of them had made some poor choices. Oh, they made a mess of things. I mean, you know Judas, how he worked with the, 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 the Pharisees and, 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 uh, and the religious leaders, and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? You know the tremendous guilt and regret that Judas felt, and what did he do? He went out and he hanged himself. Now, Peter, he too was a disciple. He too made poor choices. He didn't betray Jesus, but he denied Jesus three times. In fact, after the third time, the Bible says Jesus looked at Peter eye to eye. And Peter was overcome with such guilt and such remorse that he wept bitter tears and he ran into the dark. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to some of his followers, and he gave them specific instructions. He says, I want you to go get my disciples and Peter. Now, why did he say, and Peter? Because Peter, after he had denied Christ, probably didn't feel worthy of being a disciple. And Jesus said, no, you get my disciples and Peter. I want him to be a part of the party. Now, I'm convinced that if Judas had not ended his life, Jesus would have said, hey, go get my disciples and be sure you get Peter and Judas. See, some of you are taking your guilt and your regret to a wrong place. And it's, it's, it's that shame that causes you to hide just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And God's saying, no, no, no. If you bring your guilt, your sin, your shame, your pain, bring it to me. I won't judge you for your sin. I'll forgive your sins. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Mother Teresa said this, failures that drive us to God are the kisses of Jesus. 
You see, your failure does not have to be fatal. It doesn't have to be final. But if you'll take your mistakes, whatever you have fallen short in, and bring it to Jesus. Don't don't allow it to, to keep you from God, but bring it to God. Somebody say responsibility. Somebody say repent. Somebody say rebuild. Number three, rebuild, rebuild. This is where a lot of us are right now. You've confessed to the Lord. You've taken responsibility of your actions, and now you're saying, Mike, what do I do from here? You rebuild. You don't want you to consider this example. Some of you have seen the forest fires that rage across California. How many of you have seen that on the news? Devastating. I mean, those, those fires blaze out of control and burn literally thousands upon thousands of acres. As devastating as that is, I, I want you to see, see this. The ash that remains from those forest fires, oftentimes is, it becomes the nutrients and the organic matter that's needed for future growth. Seeds need heat to germinate. And the heat from these fires causes some of the cones on these trees to pop open and release seeds that have been waiting to be germinated for a long time. So what was meant to destroy, God's saying, I can actually take that and use it as nutritional value to rebuild. I want you to consider this. Failure can become fertilizer for our future. Now, you can't clean up the things that you've messed up, but if you give it to God, God can use broken things. Come on, aren't you glad God doesn't throw away broken things? God doesn't throw away broken people. I love what Vance Habner says. The Bible, or Vance said this, and he's a great man of God. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. It takes broken clouds to give us rain. It takes broken grain to give us bread. You see, what can God do with your brokenness? I'm reminded of Nehemiah. The Bible says that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and the city was left in in such shame and disarray. When Nehemiah learned that the walls of the city had been ruined, he wept. And then he went back. God commissioned Nehemiah. I want you to see in Nehemiah 2.17, the, the Bible says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall. In other words, the word of the Lord came to Nehemiah and said, it's time to rebuild. What did Nehemiah do? He went in, he assessed the situation, and the scripture says that he used what remained, and he used that to rebuild. Let me say this by by the word of the Lord. Some of you need to stop looking at what you've lost, and you need to look at what you have left, and you need to rebuild on what remains. You've grieved over your poor choices, the things that you've supposedly lost. God's saying, listen, if you've hit rock bottom, know that I am the rock at the bottom. What do you rebuild on? You don't rebuild on sand, you rebuild on rock. Look at what you have left. 
Don't let failure be final, but let that be the fertilizer. I'm prophesying over somebody right now. The very broken place of your life, God says, I want to use that. I'll anoint that. And that pain will become your platform. Come on, somebody. God will use the pain of your past to produce hope for somebody else's future. Come on, does anybody receive that? It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. But you can't rebuild if you're plagued by shame, guilt, or regret. We take responsibility. We repent over our past. We focus to rebuild. And finally, and this is where I want to end, ask the band to come up. Finally, what happens? God redeems it all. He redeems. He redeems. Now, I know that's kind of a a churchy word. What does it mean to redeem? Have you ever used a coupon? All right, light bulb. There we go. What do you do with a coupon? Listen, I had a guy give me a stack of, of coupons for Smoothie King. A stack, I mean literally like that thick. And this was back in January when we were going through 21 days of prayer and fasting. Fasting, oh sweet Jesus. Okay, 21 days. And I saw I had that stack of coupons from Smoothie King and so I rolled up day one of the fast. They said, "Uh, what would you like, Sarah? I said, "Uh, give me an extra large, extra, extra, extra large uh, chocolate gladiator with peanut butter and banana. Come on, somebody. I'm going big on protein. Low on carbs, big on protein. They said, well, that'll be 678. I'm like, not today. In fact, not for the next 21 days. Come on, somebody. Because I had a little piece of paper that said, now listen, It wasn't the value of the paper. You see, to redeem means to take something and to convert it into value, all right? I'm not trying to minimize your pain, but I am saying this, God never wastes a pain. He doesn't waste it. In fact, every tear that you cry, the scripture says, he collects it in his bottle. Psalm 56, I'm telling you, he's written this out. Some of you feel like, man, what was that season in my life all about? That was terrible. God's like, no, no, no. If you'll just take responsibility, if you'll repent, if you'll surrender it to me, I can rebuild and I will redeem. You think it's it's a lost cause. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't waste a hurt or a heartache. I record it so that I can redeem it. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that you read in Scripture is committed by one of the most beloved men of all times. In fact, of this man, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. King David, the most beloved king of all of Israel, and yet committed one of the most heinous sins, crimes ever recorded. He stole another man's wife and then had her husband killed. I mean, no, adultery and murder, that's a bad day right there. Bad day. Bad day. Good guy made some bad choices. And you know what he did? He went through this exact process that I just talked to you about. He didn't blame somebody else. He said, read Psalm 51. That whole chapter is David's response to his sin. He said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Father, your judgments against me are just. 
Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and renew an upright spirit within me. What did he do? He took responsibility. He repented of his sin. He surrendered it to the Lord. And God, what happened now? What happened? David marries Bathsheba. Now, I'm not saying this. Consequences, the Lord will allow consequences to do their work in our lives. Okay? That's part of us embracing responsibility. But I want you to know who was born out of that union between David and Bathsheba. It was a man named Solomon. Now, here's what's interesting. You fast forward hundreds of years later. The Bible says in Matthew 1 verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Okay, God, why did you have to include? It's a little embarrassing. You actually said Bathsheba's name. You even mentioned, you know, her husband that David killed. Lord, why would you do that? I want you to know this. God has mercy for every mistake. So now we're talking about, why is this important? Because this is the line of Jesus Christ. Who did Jesus come through? David had 19 sons. Surely there was another son that could be a part of the lineage of Jesus. No, 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 no. God said, I want him to come through Solomon, who was the result of David's sin with Bathsheba. In fact, God's saying, listen, I can redeem every mistake. My mercy can mark even your worst decisions. If you take responsibility, if you repent of your sin, I'll help you rebuild your life and I will redeem. If Jesus could come out of David's worst mistakes, what do you think Jesus can do with your worst mistake? Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.